Hello readers, my name is Jason Jefferies and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is number one New York Times best-selling author Chuck Palahniuk. He is the author of Fight Club, Choke, Haunted, and many, many more. His newest novel is The Invention of Sound, published by our friends at Grand Central Publishing. Chuck, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you very much. It's an honor to have you here. And Chuck, the first thing I want to ask you is a two-part question. First, how have you been doing personally? And second, how are you approaching the marketing of your new novel in the current climate? Boy, uh, I'm doing okay. You know, this isn't very different from my, my everyday normal. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> I forget to wear a mask sometimes. And that's the only time I ever notice a difference. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is kind of pretty close to a writer's regular life. Right. Right. And then how are you thinking about the marketing of your new novel in this climate? <laughs> you know, uh, it's going to be nothing like it was in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. I've done a regular tour for the writing for the writing memoir. Consider this in January and February. Mm-hmm. In fact, my last stop was New York in February. Mm-hmm. So glad I made it home. Um, and then I had a graphic novel, Fight Club 3, mm-hmm. come out in the spring, and I put together a huge tour for that. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot of airline credits that I've got to use because that whole tour got scrubbed. And this time around, it looks like it is going to be a virtual events, which I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I figure if Max Brooks can do them, I can do them. <laughs> right, and it's um, it's going to be tough to throw a, a severed limb at someone through a computer screen, Chuck. Um, but if anyone can do it, you can. Um, Chuck, you live near Portland, Oregon, and I want to ask you. I live. Yeah, okay. please. Yeah, I want to ask you what's going on up there. Uh, my mother-in-law is in Portland. I have two sisters-in-law and a brother-in-law, nieces, nephews, etc. in Portland. And I'm hearing conflicting reports, everything from uh, Portland is a battle zone to reports that there is only like a block of chaos and everything else is kombucha brewing issues and backyard chicken drama. Um, what is your perspective regarding the goings-on in Portland? <laughs> it is... Uh uh, boy, I want to say the streets are running with blood because I am a travel guide. I've got a little travel guide about Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So as long as Portland stays weird and in the headlines, my little travel guide sells like hotcakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the truth is, according to my students who live downtown, most everything is happening within about a six square block area. Mm-hmm. And it has gotten worse this last weekend with the shooting. Right. So now people are now people are wondering if if our mayor uh, Ted Wheeler will actually do something. Yeah, I guess we'll all find out, Chuck. Um, thank you very much. Let's dive into this new novel, The Invention of Sound. Uh, Much of this novel is concerned with the sounds that are used by Hollywood studios, particularly in scenes involving stabbings and murders and the like. What drew you to write about the world of Hollywood sound effects? Hmm. You know, I started with a short story. It was about uh, a Foley artist 
who seemed to be the, the go-to person for the very best screams when you had a special effect that wasn't really working, but you needed a fantastic scream to really sell it. Mm-hmm. And you went to this particular woman. And a friend of mine read the short story and asked me if I knew about the Wilhelm scream. Mm. And it turns out the Wilhelm scream is, is a classic scream that's been used in dozens of movies, hundreds of cartoons and video games and television shows. And now it's, it's kind of a joke among directors like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Quentin Tarantino to use the, the Wilhelm scream in absolutely every feature film. Mm-hmm. So it's just become kind of an audio joke. And uh, I started researching it and finding out that there were these classic screams that have been around for decades that are used over and over. And then the completely unrelated to this, the cover artist for Fight Club 3 drew an issue where he depicted a tattoo artist wearing a concert t-shirt for a band named the Wilhelm Scream. (laughs) And it was just such a strange lineup of coincidences that all seemed to be kind of affirming that this short story should become a novel. And so a lot of different things in the universe seemed to be telling me that this this needed to be a novel about uh, commodification of of human uh, suffering. Right, thank you so much, Chuck. And besides the Hollywood sound effects, there is another thread running through this novel regarding a man whose daughter has disappeared. And her disappearance leads him down a rabbit hole on the dark web in which he is looking for evidence that his daughter has perhaps been kidnapped for the purpose of sexual exploitation. Chuck, must what must go through the mind of a parent who literally loses a child inside a building that leads them to the dark web? Uh, you got me you know so much of it is uh, is his fantastic feeling of guilt mm-hmm. which is reinforced by um, the world pretty much um, holding him accountable for having played the seemingly innocuous game that allowed his daughter to uh, stray out of his sight and disappear from their lives and then uh over the years he has also attended a support group for parents who have suffered a similar loss Uh, and the support group is also kind of keeps those feelings alive without resolving them Um, there's a lot more to it than that but I'll I'll leave off right thank you Chuck and I want to ask you about a passage on pages 12 and 13 regarding the Fontaine method and the superstitious belief that people should not walk under ladders uh, and how this belief was developed. First, can you explain uh, these concepts to our listeners? And second, is this true, the reason that you give in your novel for why people steer clear of walking under ladders? Uh, it is. It is an old Eastern European uh, custom, belief, mm-hmm. uh, that you don't walk under a ladder because typically ladders were used as a way to hang criminals. You didn't want to somehow curse a tree mm. uh, by hanging someone from a tree. So you you leaned a ladder against a wall, and then you hung the person in the space below the ladder. Mm. And so subsequently, you never wanted to walk below a ladder because you didn't know whose soul might still kind of occupy that psychic space. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the Fontaine method is... Uh, 
this classic thing. I, I had a, I rented a condo when I was really young and just starting to write. I rented a condo in this huge tower called the Fontaine Condominiums. It was a, it had been once been very expensive and it was now very run down and very shabby. Mm. And, uh, and there was an ambulance there almost every day because most of the residents were very old. Most of them were alcoholics. Mm. And uh, the building had a very high suicide rate. Mm. And I couldn't figure out how people might hang themselves in this all concrete building. But a paramedic was telling me that they, they typically tie a bathroom belt or they tie a rope around the doorknob of an interior door. And then they throw the rope over the top of this very tall door and they make a noose on the other side and they hang themselves against the door because the doors were something like eight or nine feet tall. Hmm. And so that was what people in the building called the Fontaine Method. And so I just wrote it into the novel. Wow, and now it's uh, preserved forever and ever. Chuck, thank you so much. Listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Chuck Polinick. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Chuck Polinick, author of The Invention of Sound, published by our friends at Grand Central Publishing. Chuck, I'm going to step outside of the invention of sound for one moment and ask you about your friend Amy Hempel. I interviewed Amy last year, and she had very kind things to say about you. She's great friends with one of my great friends, Joe McCorkle. Um, And in her latest collection, there's a story called Cloudland. And about that story, she has stated that you, Chuck, uh, were considering using the source material but could find nothing funny about it. So you suggested that Amy use it instead. Can you tell us more about what happened here? Oh, I was researching some of the largest serial killings in history. Hmm. And one that kept coming up was a, a Canadian home for unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this home for decades, uh, women would go and give birth and leave their child behind. And then they would have to pay for the upkeep of the child until it was adopted out by someone else. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, um, the children weren't adopted. If there was anything at all wrong with them, or I'm not sure how to phrase this, but if they weren't readily adoptable, Mm -hmm. uh, the home would kill the children, Mm -hmm. but it would continue to bill their upkeep to the birth mother, wherever she was. Mm -hmm. And the birth mother would sometimes pay for years and years 
thinking that her baby was still alive and still had a chance of being adopted into a, a wonderful house household. Mm-hmm. When in fact, hundreds of these babies ended up killed in infancy and buried in apple boxes in an orchard. And, uh, and that made it by far the largest active serial killing enterprise in, in modern history. It was, it was enormous. And uh, I, I couldn't think of anything that would honor such a story. It was such a grim story. Mm. And so I turned it over to Amy because she has such a talent at really honoring things without exploiting them. So many writers would take something like that and they turn it into a, a thriller or a suspense novel or something just crazy commercial. Mm-hmm. But I knew that Amy Hempel could really completely do it justice. And that's why it had to be her story. And she did do it justice. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Chuck. Um, back to your new novel, Invention of Sound. There is a paragraph where you write about the sound effects behind certain acts. For example, how the breaking of bones is usually just the snapping of celery, or how the sound a skull makes when someone jumps off a skyscraper and slams headfirst into a sidewalk is just a double layer of soda crackers tied to a watermelon and smacked with a baseball bat. Were there any other sound effects that you were surprised or intrigued to learn the source of? I was really fascinated by the way you make the sound of a breaking femur bone, Mm. uh, the lower leg bone, the shin bone. Mm -hmm. And that is, you take a thin strip of plywood and you soak it in water so that most of the the glue dissolves. Mm. And then you dry it in the sun until it's completely dry. Mm. And then you have all these strips of semi-dissolved plywood and you just snap those and they sound exactly like a long bone breaking. Hmm. Thank you, Chuck. Um, by the way, I was somewhat pleased to learn uh, this scene where you're describing the sound with the watermelon was the source for the cover of this novel because when I first picked it up, I thought maybe it was a Gallagher reference or something. I think I might have just dated myself. But um, Moving on, I want to ask you about a sentence on page 36, and that sentence is, Despite all the fuss about universal child care and income inequality, killing was the real measure of a woman's progress. Can you explain this sentence? Well, it is a character trying to rationalize the fact that her profession is more or less about killing people. Hmm. And so, in her mind, she is thinking that the one act that women are completely forbidden from indulging in is gratuitous killing. That is the one thing that, that is kind of like would be the last frontier for for a really liberated, self-directed woman mm. is to be able to kill at will and not feel remorse. And so in her mind, she is seeing that as kind of a fourth, fifth, sixth wave of feminism mm. uh, where women finally have this ultimate power and they can exercise it without misgivings. Right on. Thank you, Chuck. And I want to ask you, I found Mitzi's occupation in this novel to be um, 
quite shocking or what she considered to be her main occupation. And I often find passages in your novels, uh, most of which I have read, to be shocking. I'm thinking of a scene in your collection, Haunted, involving a drain in a swimming pool. Um, Chuck, what is it about these shocking characters, moments, scenes, situations that draw you to write about them over and over again? Well, for me, I always want to take advantage of the strength of a medium. Mm. And movies have immediacy, they have motion, they have color, they have sound, they have music. Movies have so many things, but they can't show you too much because movies cost an enormous amount of money to make. Mm. They have to be shown to an enormous audience to make their money back. And if they make things literal enough to show them, they would alienate the audience and no one would ever see the end of a movie. Mm-hmm. But books, books can go to those places and books cost very little to produce, so books don't have to return as much as a movie does. Mm-hmm. And books, have to, books are only consumed by a fairly educated audience. So you don't have to worry about a child, a small child picking up a book and reading something inappropriate. The way you do have to worry about a small child turning on a movie and watching something completely inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So for me, in a book or a story, the goal is always to do something that movies cannot do. And hey, that's my job. (laughs) Right on, and does that philosophy extend to the work you've done with graphic novels? It does. And with graphic novels, it's a slightly different strength in that medium mm-hmm. where you can show things, but they can be stylized enough that you still couldn't do that thing in a movie. But it allows you so much greater sort of detail and background and visual effects than you would in a book. Mm-hmm. Because in a book, you don't want to describe everything. You only want to describe the things you actually touch or things that come into play in the story. Where in a comic book, you can have these fantastic splash pages that are filled with detail and scenery. Um, So you can never have that kind of description in a book without completely killing the plot. Right. Thank you, Chuck. And there is so much more to talk about in your new novel, The Invention of Sound, but I don't want to spoil too much about it for our listeners as we do want them to go read it. But before we go, I do want to ask you about a passage where you write about voicemails left by people on hijacked airplanes or by the people who were... um, trapped in the World Trade Center as they were about to be burned alive or as they were about to jump to their deaths. What is it about these voicemails, the final recorded words that people leave behind, uh, that hold such power over the people who receive them? Oh boy. Um, When my mother died of cancer in 2009, I was left with a whole bunch of voicemails that she had left me while I was taking care of her in the last year of her life. Mm. And at one point I remarked, I mentioned this to a friend, that, that when a hundred days passed, I would just keep on hitting nine to save every message for another hundred days. Mm. And I wasn't sure at what point I'd be able to start hitting seven and deleting those. Mm. Um, and the friend I told, she said that 
her best friend had died seven or eight years before and that she herself was still hitting nine. She was still saving all the voicemails from her best friend who had been dead for so many years mm-hmm. and that she couldn't, she couldn't conceive of ever hitting seven to delete any of them. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that, you know, once you realize you're not the only one doing this, uh, I was shocked how many of my, my friends, my acquaintances, were keeping voicemails of dead people on their phones. And from that, it was just kind of an extension to what people who received those messages from people who were doomed on the uh, 9-11 flights or doomed in the towers. Mm-hmm. They were also going through that same ritual of preserving and making copies and copies of copies and backing up those messages as, as many ways as they possibly could so that they would always have a copy of their loved one's last words. And it seemed like such a completely human touching impulse that I, I wanted to explore it uh, in every way possible you know, in the book. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chuck. And thank you for writing this book, and not only this book, but the fantastic volume of work that you have given us over the years. Listeners, I've been speaking with Chuck Polinick, author of The Invention of Sound, which is published by our friends at Grand Central Publishing. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you for, for inviting me. Uh, we will meet again. Absolutely. Once again, I would like to thank Chuck Polinick for joining me. Copies of The Invention of Sound can be purchased from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin'.